there's anything I can tell you, is that the best place to hide is in your mind. Let's get into this. Um, so this is one of our episodes of correspondence for Between Lewis and Lovecraft. And today I'm joined by Alyssa. Who, uh, Alyssa, I'll let you kind of describe what, what it is you do. Sure. So I am an aspiring writer, but I, my actual job is as a graphic designer. And I'm also a yoga teacher. So um, I've always loved books. I've loved reading and always been interested in writing throughout my whole life. So I have finally started the journey of writing my first novel. So that's what's brought me into this writing and reading community again. I love that you do so many different things and I, I love how that shows up in your YouTube videos, particularly like your day in the life one where you started out doing yoga in the morning and then a little bit of graphic design and then some writing and then more yoga. So yeah, you do a lot of things. You keep really busy. Yeah, I love having variety in the things that I do. And I know that, especially working as a graphic designer, I have a tendency to sit at my desk and not leave for the day. <laughs> so it, it also counteracts the, the desk work that I do by teaching yoga and just trying to keep everything um, balanced socially and, um, you know, the, the work that I do on my computer versus an outward service to others. Uh, it's good for my my mental health and my physical health and yeah so um and i i think that also these things are all linked in some way um in terms of um, exploration and curiosity and imagination i think that art comes through in a lot of pursuits in different ways definitely um, and you mentioned your novel. I definitely want to talk about that a little bit later. But in the other aspects of your life and, and your work, how do books factor in to your day-to-day -day life? Day-to-day -day life, I have been struggling to find time to read again. I've always loved reading. I started reading very young. I was encouraged to, to start reading early and fell in love with books at a very young age before I went to school. And... That was basically my entire childhood was with my nose buried in a book. <laughs> and then, you know, in adult life, it sort of became more of a luxury. And uh, I had to actually try and commit to finding time to read every single day or, or most days. And so for me, it's usually an hour before I go to sleep. Um, and I, once I started writing... <laughs> that was a whole different ball game as well because um, I struggled to continue reading while I was writing because I kept getting inspired or getting ideas or I would be looking at the writing quite objectively and looking at how they were telling the story and it pulled me out of the actual book um, and it wasn't so much about reading for enjoyment at that point. So yeah, it has been a bit of a, a balancing act um, because you might have seen in um, one of my other YouTube videos I put up recently where I realized that I was partway through 17 books. <laughs> I was going to ask about that because I, I'm one of those people who it's weird if I have more than one or two books going at a time. So watching that, I was like, how could she have so many partially finished books on her shelf or on her, her device right now? Is that normal for you? 
It's not, well, I don't actually. Maybe it is normal. I'm not sure. Um, it, it kind of broke my heart a little bit because I thought, ah, oh, you know, these are all books that I really want to be reading. And then I had a. Actually, that's something else that's funny is that I've been recommending these books to my friends as well, even though I haven't finished them. I'm like, oh, you've got to read this book. It's it's so good, even though I haven't finished it. And then I had a friend say, well, it obviously didn't capture your attention that much if you didn't even finish the book. And I'm like, but I just, it's just a time, it's a time factor. And 17 got out of control and that's where I need to address my behavior <laughs> and actually read one book at a time and and, and put all of my attention into that one book to finish it. Are you a book buyer? Is that how you're kind of like getting so many stockpiled? So I had to ban myself from buying books. I think it was the year before last because I was accumulating too many books and I get them. Um, I either buy them which I don't do anymore. I, I have this rule where I do not buy books. It was a little bit different over lockdown. I did actually buy some on my Kindle, but never mind that. I can break my own rules. <laughs> also because everybody knows that I love books. I get them for as gifts for my birthday and Christmas and things like that. And also I get them out of the library and then you have a deadline to work to, you know, where you need to read the book before you, you give it back. Um, and then I have friends lending me books all the time, recommending them to me, saying, you must read this, you're going to love it. And so I'll pick up a book and start reading it, and yes, I do fall in love with it, but then because of the other obligations I have in my life where I um, haven't been able to read consistently, I sort of put the book down and then another shiny one comes along and I'll start reading it, and I thought, this has got, got to stop. <laughs> I need to change my behavior right now. <laughs> And it sounds like you're pretty committed to doing that. Have, have you narrowed it down? Do you know which book you're going to commit to finishing first out of the 17? No, that's unfortunate too, because ever since I put that video out, everyone says to me, oh, you got to finish this one first. <laughs> I know. I told you to finish All the Light We Cannot See because that's one of my personal favorites. But out of 17, some books, I'm sure everybody else had, had a different favorite. Well, I, I did take your advice on that one, and I, that's actually at the top of my priority list at the moment. So that's the one that I'm currently reading. And then the next one that I'm really keen to get onto is The Luminaries, which is a New Zealand author, Alan Cashin. And um, everybody who I know who has read that book said that it was quite life-changing. Like, it was, it's a very powerful book. It very looks really big, though. Very daunting. And from what I understand, there are a lot of different characters and they all kind of intertwine, but there's, at the start, there's a lot to remember. And um, I'm holding it up in front of you and you can see that I got about 14 pages in and then I thought, this is something I have to give my full attention to. And that was why I set it aside because I, I thought I need to actually read it in, you know, good chunks of time, not just fritter away at it <laughs> absolutely so is that one a novel then yes are you primarily a fiction reader uh is there a genre you like best um i read nearly all fiction and it's mainly because i like to read for escapism and i like imagination and being pulled into another world and Although I find nonfiction interesting, and I have read some fabulous nonfiction books, I find that it's more of a, um, well, it, it doesn't give me that same feeling of escaping 
life and kind of resetting my brain before I go to sleep. Um, it's almost like because I'm learning from it, it becomes more of a, a task kind of thing. So fiction is my indulgence. And I've always loved fiction ever since I was a kid. I've loved imaginative stories, you know, Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton and all of those kinds of books. That was sort of where I started was those um, highly imaginative stories. That's awesome. I feel like sometimes fiction doesn't get enough credit. You know, it's kind of people get those snobby attitudes and they're like, oh, you have to read nonfiction or, or something that's very, very literary fiction, like very highbrow. Um, but at the end of the day, reading is for entertainment and enjoyment. So you should just be able to read whatever you want. Mm, that's the way I look at it, too. Um, there is so much out there and that's where I get overwhelmed by wanting wanting to read everything. <laughs> So I'm always drawn towards the thing that I know and love and, you know, the, the certain authors that, that give me what I want out of reading. reading. Um, and even when I was a kid, I was always reading the same books or the same authors. And my mum was always trying to find me different books just to broaden my range. But I was still always, you know, really focused on, on certain um, genres or authors. Oh, yeah, I can relate. Do you have um, certain authors now that you are still like that with where you read everything they write? I am a sucker for Stephen King. And I've, I started reading Stephen King when I was very young, probably a little too young, um, you know, sort of early teens. And um, I still read pretty much everything that he writes. And... I'm a sucker for Lee Child, Jack Creature, and it's funny because those are just formulaic books that they're predictable and you know exactly what you're going to get from them, but they're the perfect kind of escapism because you don't have to think too hard, you just sort of fall into that world. I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan, and I would say that I've probably read the majority of, if not all, of her books. Um, so I have and, to admit, I haven't read anything by Agatha Christie so far. What, oh. what sets her apart as a writer? What are some of the standout qualities of her work? So she wrote classic whodunit novels, and, but not to the point of being formulaic, I, like some writers are. I liked how, I liked her approach to story writing where she would just give the perfect amount of information and no more no less but she just had this way of feeding through um little details about characters which would usually lead to a motive for them for them being the murderer <laughs> or the victim and it was done in such a way that you didn't always know that it was a clue. And of course she was writing over the 1950s to seventies, that kind of time period. So I love the language. I, I do love books that are a little older where, you know, there's not current technology and um, it seems simpler somehow you know, <laughs> without the, co the complex, you know, the complexities of what we have modern day. So the language, the, the storylines, the characters, just all fabulous books. I would highly recommend 
reading I know. Them. Yeah. Well, I'll have to add some of those because I, I like kind of mystery thriller types too. And I like ones that are less formulaic or have like something else that kind of sets them apart, like deeper character development and stuff. Like that's something that always stands out to me in a murder mystery when you actually like care about the characters and think of them as real people. Um, so yeah, so anything that's a little different than the normal, you know, mass produced paperback is, is something I like. <laughs> Mm. Well, I'll have to recommend some of my favorites of hers that you can start with. Definitely. Are you the kind of uh, reader who tries to like guess what the ending is going to be? Or do you cheat ever and look at the back? I never, ever cheat. Um, but I, I never want to know who it is, but I have a very analytical mind. So that can be a little bit frustrating sometimes when my my mind is kind of running away with trying to work out who the murderer is sort of thing or you know figuring out what the twist might be and it it can be frustrating sometimes because i'm not intentionally trying to work it out um my mind is just kind of going there and i've noticed with some authors like jodie pickolch for example, have you read any of hers? I loved her. I read her a lot more when I was a teenager, so I haven't read any of her l late stuff. Mm, I've probably read about five of her books, and I started to sort of read between the lines a little where I could see a bit of a formula, and a few of her books, I figured out what was really going on, and it just kind of frustrated me because it took away the enjoyment of it and I was talking about it with a friend and she's like you know just let yourself be immersed in the book and I was like I'm trying to but my mind is always trying to figure things out and wondering you know if this detail was intended to be a, a clue towards the the twist you know what's coming up <laughs> right because she does a lot of those like character twists like not mm. they're sort of plot twists but I always think they're more of like it's something that shocks you about the character less exactly. the events that happened at least in the ones that I've read so you said you've read about five of them have you which ones um my sister's keeper 19 minutes is that what it's yeah called? that was the first one I read by her oh yeah I liked that one actually it was good um the storyteller, I'm trying to remember what they're all called. Um, there was one about an Amish girl. I actually, um, I always keep a list of the books that I've read. So like, uh, do you do the spreadsheet thing? I know a lot of people who do that. Not a spreadsheet. I just keep a, a list. So as I finish a book, then I add it to the list. And of course, now I have um, an open books list as well. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. <laughs> I do um just like a a picture where I will copy uh, a picture of the um the book cover and then add it to the collage and I do one for every year so mm. I can try to see how many I read in that year. But oh, I should I love that maybe idea. That's a really cool idea. I might steal that. <laughs> yeah, do that. One. It's not searchable though. Whereas if you like actually typed out a list, it would be easier to to find out like what year you read something in or who it was by. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I also don't have a very good memory for books that I've read. So that's why I can reread Agatha Christie novels and not remember who the murderer is. <laughs> you get to experience it all <laughs> over again. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, did she write a ton of books? Like, I know a lot of murder mystery writers, they do dozens and dozens of books over their career. Yeah, I think it would be around about 100, maybe over. Uh, I think she is the most prolific writer of the 20th century. Oh, I, wow. I, I'm not sure if it's in terms of um, book sales or, you know, being widely read, but yeah, but I think output numbers are numbers. Um, yeah, I th- I, yeah, I think something. <laughs> I, I wish I'd looked that up, but I, I think she is the um, most read author of the 20th century, something like that. We'll have to do an episode on her then and figure Absolutely. it all out. I think Definitely. that would be a popular one because she, I mean, just because I haven't read anything by her doesn't mean that thousands of other people haven't. I know she always makes the top of a lot of people's lists. Mm. And my local theatre does a play of hers every year. So that's really fun too. And of course, because I can never remember who the murderer is, <laughs> it's always a nice surprise. Um, but yeah, I have a friend who um, is also a big fan. And so we go along every year and really look forward to that. It's nice seeing it, um, you know, actually played out because some of her books were actually written as plays. Oh, nice. That sounds like such a fun, like, community thing to do. It is. Mm. Um, Are there any, like, differences in popular reading tastes in New Zealand as opposed to what might be popular over here in America? I wouldn't say tastes. We are very influenced by um, the, you know, global market, but we do have some incredible authors in New Zealand and I think that I could do better <laughs> at trying to read more New Zealand authors. And so that's partly why I can't wait to read The Luminaries. Um, but, but of course, growing up, we were um, encouraged to read New Zealand authors, you know, through school and um, you know, what, what we had access to in the libraries. So there were um, some authors that when I actually think back to the books that I read in my childhood, most of them are New Zealand authors. Oh, besides, yeah. of course, Roald Dahl and, and um, people like that. And at high school, you know, we were encouraged to read New Zealand authors too. So because we are a very small country and I guess in some ways maybe that's, I don't know how that makes it easier or harder to get published, if that makes sense, because, you know, obviously in the States, there are a lot more people and a lot more just in terms of quantity, the amount of amazing writers. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think it can be hard for a small country as well, especially to get on, on the world stage. Right. Because I mean, here in America, we've got like all of the publishing houses, but we also have all of the people competing for a small number of, of book contracts each year. So it would be interesting to know how that plays out in countries with much smaller populations. Mm, Exactly. So when you were in school, like when I was in school, we had uh, American lit and Brit lit for our English classes. Did you guys have Brit lit and New Zealand lit or, or what was that like? Well, I suppose we did. I never really thought about it that way. Uh, There were New Zealand authors that, we um, had to read as part of our curriculum. Um, But then there were also, you know, I remember reading The Handmaid's Tale when I was at high school. That was one of the things that we had to read. Um, So, yeah, I think think it 
probably was, you know, both of them were part of the curriculum. Interesting. Yeah, I, looking back, like at the time, I didn't realize that, that it was so narrowly focused, I think. But now that I'm older, I try to incorporate more books from other countries that aren't just America or England into uh, my my reading list. But it's, it's hard to find them sometimes. I feel like uh, a lot of the arts and culture, um, or at least what's like widely appreciated, gets very Eurocentric. Yes. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, you know, as even growing up in a, in a small country, you know, we watched American TV. All of my favorite TV shows were American. And I mean, we had British TV shows as well. Um, but I mean, I was always kind of drawn to the American ones because we kind of had this, this thing of like, you know, the American dream it was like, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sort of hard to explain, but it was almost like an ideal of, um, you know, and I suppose that life probably wasn't really that much different, but I think that American life was glamorized on, on TV. So that was a, definitely an influence in terms of TV and movies and books. I got to say that the New Zealand version of The Bachelor is way better than American Bachelor. <laughs> I was watching that when we were over there and I was like, these, these dudes are way less annoying than the dudes on American Bachelor. We were definitely more laid back and chilled out here. <laughs> yeah, they were. We're not, we're not quite so, you know, sensational about things. We tend to be like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was still some drama, but not nearly as much. And it was drama while they were actually, like, having real jobs, like farmer and stuff and riding horses. Whereas all the guys you see on the uh, American Bachelor, they have weird obscure jobs that you don't understand like some very technical financial job or something or right. or they're like a mo all of them are models now i'm like okay <laughs> these new zealand bachelors are down to earth they know how to like ride a horse <laughs> the funny thing is that you know with our small population of i think we might have just hit five million you know there's a really good chance that that everyone knows at least one person on The Bachelor. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> or has a, you know, well, we call it two degrees of separation. You know, like normally it's six degrees of separation, but we always say two degrees of separation because, you know, we are so, so much smaller here. I didn't think of that, but that's probably true. <laughs> so let's talk about your, your novel then, because I, I didn't realize until watching some of your, your videos that you were working on your own, uh, book and you also have this cool mentorship program going on so kind of how did you get into writing and what are you working on now yeah so it was the year before last I had a friend uh, suggest that I tried doing NaNoWriMo which I guess you know NaNoWriMo yeah I've done that a couple <laughs> times I had never heard of it but I was always up for a challenge I always like to challenge myself and you know because <laughs> you'd think that I had all the time in the world with the the crazy things that I do that I keep trying to add into um my life but um I thought ah oh, I could write a novel that sounds fun you know 50,000 words in a month but I had no concept of 
what 50,000 words was because I had done no writing in my adult life. I used to love writing stories when I was a child, but I, besides writing um, like some corporate writing and, you know, sort of a, a half-hearted blog, I'd never really um, done any proper writing as an adult. And so I immediately realized that it was beyond me and not something that I would be able to achieve. <laughs> but the instant that I was given the idea or proposed the idea that I could write a book, um, a whole idea came to me. And that same day, I actually wrote the entire outline for a novel. And then I just started writing from the beginning. And I didn't stop until I got to the end of the novel, which was 15 months later. So just over a year later. And I've really just been figuring it out as I go along. And then I sort of got, so that was um, December or January um, just been that I reached the end of the book. And around that same time, I signed up with the New Zealand Society of Authors, which is a really good um, organization that we have here. And I went along to one of their meetings and met some wonderful people, really encouraging, great people. I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm going to do this every month. You know, every month they had a, an on-site meeting. And then, of course, coronavirus. <laughs> upending so, plans plans. Well. <laughs> so everything kind of became virtual, but I had already made some connections by that point. So that was really cool. And then um, they had suggested to me that I submitted a manuscript for the mentorship program. And I had to submit some chapters from my novel and an outline the, you know, the, the full premise, or the synopsis, sorry, of the story and sort of a cover letter and everything. So I put all of that together and applied for it. And I was just very, very fortunate to have been selected. And then I was, paired up with my mentor and I wasn't able to meet her of course because this was during lockdown but we've been engaging over the phone and through email and she has helped me immensely with my work because you know I had this whole book written and then I knew that I would need to edit it and refine it and everything but I um I know that I would never have done any anywhere near as good of a job without a mentor by my side. She especially helped me with the first few chapters where obviously the first chapters were the first thing that I wrote. So I was never happy with them. They were sort of filled with backstory and setup of the characters, introducing the characters, and it wasn't engaging. And I knew that that was a problem. I knew that it wasn't well written. And so she helped me to actually drop the story in at a different point, at a more engaging point. And then I was able to use what I'd already written and just sort of pick up the important bits and kind of season them through throughout the story. So I'm really happy with how it's coming along now. And I'm just beyond grateful that I have a writing mentor to, to teach me, you know, to give me resources and tools and um, show me how, because she's, you know, she's not doing the work for me. She's enabling me um, to see how I can improve on my own work. So it's just a, 
really valuable skill that I'm learning now. That's such a cool program that, that they connect you with someone who can help you do this. I'm assuming you're a mentor. Is she a published writer too? Yes, she is a published writer. Um, and it's funny, once upon a time, she used to be a graphic designer as well. So we were matched really well. Um, and she does corporate writing and she does a lot of mentoring. So that's her focus at the moment. And she's an incredible wealth of, of knowledge. Um, I'm completely blown away by how much she knows and how good she is at what she does. That's awesome. Um, are you able to say like what genre your story falls under or like a, a little hint at the plot? Yeah, so that's, I'm still quite trying to work on my elevator pitch. <laughs> it's quite, quite hard to, um, I haven't quite drilled down how to explain what the book is about, but it is complete fiction and it follows a, a boy, a character, who is growing up in 1960s Auckland, New Zealand, which is where I am from. And he um, eventually, in his later life, he um, creates these mechanical animals. And um, that's, that's sort of something that he's passionate about from a very young age. And of course, he has obstacles to overcome in his life. And it's, it's really more about the relationships between him and the, the people, his family and friends and um, following that throughout his life that, that lead him to become the, the man he is in, in the end. So he's a bit of a dreamer, um, but he's very clever and creative. And if I was to give it a genre or show where it falls into a genre, it would be, I call it contemporary fiction, even though it is set in the 1960s and a little later because I don't really consider that to be historical fiction and I'm not really sure of the definition. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I wouldn't either. I, and it's weird because, you know, I consider World War II fiction historical fiction and that's just 20 years earlier than the 1960s. So I'm not sure where the line falls or maybe if it's like, if the focus of your novel is on the history happening at the time where it sounds like yours is more on just a person who happens to be growing up at that time. Exactly. That's the way I see it too. The, you know, the setting is just the setting. Um, it, it's not um, kind of the main, I, I'm not trying to show history in any way. It is just in the periphery, just the, the background setting of the book, which is really fun in itself. I've loved doing, because the 60s was before my time. <laughs> so I've loved doing a lot of research around, you know, the events that affected households at that time, um, globally and within New Zealand. It has been really fun. And talking to people from um, that same age range as well, you know, what was it like for you? Um, it's been quite hard finding the exact right slang to use, you know, because obviously it was different back then, but um, it has to be used in a very convincing way. Right. <laughs> even if it's not the People will notice right away if, if the voice sounds weird and they might not even know why it sounds wrong, but they'll know that it does. Exactly. Mm. Um, so what has your research process been like on that? Because I know that's one of my problems when I'm writing is I get very bogged down in the research. Like I'll spend hours and hours reading about things that probably don't matter for my plot, but I just get so into that avenue that I feel like sometimes I 
put less effort into their writing. Is that a problem for you at all? Uh, definitely. I've probably spent, I feel like I've spent more time researching than I have actually writing. Uh, it's probably been about 50, 50. And I would spend an entire afternoon just trying to find out one small detail. And I don't know if that was just, you know, a little obsession of mine, you know, that I, it needed to be right. Because if I have, I figured that if I have details in my book, they need to be right because people will know they will have their own memories or they'll, they'll have a way of, of knowing whether it was right or wrong. So why put it in if it's not accurate? Um, even just finding out when, certain movies were released in New Zealand. You know, well, I needed to know what movies were out at a certain time. And it's, it's harder than you think, <laughs> you know, trying to, because a worldwide release of a movie didn't necessarily make it to New Zealand straight away. Even when I was a kid, we never got them straight away. You know, you'd, we'd sort of get it the following year. <laughs> a movie would come out in America and I'd be like, oh, you know, you'd hear about it, but it wouldn't come out for, for months or even a year later. So, um, you know, I think that if, I mean, because one part is Mary Poppins. Um, he sees Mary Poppins, uh, when it comes out at the movies and if a reader has that same memory of going to the movies to see it and I've got it in the wrong year you know I, I just think well, what's what's the point of of writing inaccurate information or details in the book um, so in terms of my actual process most of my research has been just through google through online archives New Zealand archives um, I've basically found everything that I need from there. Cause like, like I say, it was just the setting. It's not, I'm not an historical writer, <laughs> you know, it, it is just very small details to, to create this um, background setting. Um, I did have to make contact with some organizations just to, to find out things for certain, just to really lock in some details. Um, but most of what I needed was at my fingertips. That's awesome. Um, when you were reaching out to other organizations, like how did, how did you introduce yourself? Cause that's something that I'm looking at trying to do, but I'm like, it sounds so pretentious to say I'm a writer or something when I haven't been published yet. So do you have that kind of nervousness when you reach out to people like that? I think it's the best excuse in the world. You can get away with anything by saying I'm a writer. <laughs> You can walk in anywhere or, or, you know, call up anyone and say, I'm writing a book and I just want to know this detail. It's, it's actually, <laughs> I think it's quite a good strategy. So, <laughs> so I'm, very, not, I'm not very shy receptive. about saying, pardon? So they've been very receptive to your, your information requests. <laughs> it's amazing how willing people are to, to help out. It's, it's really lovely. Um, and I'm not afraid of saying, you know, I'm a writer. I am also not afraid of saying I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm out of my depth <laughs> and I'm figuring it out as I go. Um, but, you know, I'll, I say I'm an aspiring author. Um, and, and the fact is that one way or another, I do want to get my book out there into the world for, for you know, especially the people that I know who have been waiting so patiently for them to read it. So where are you right now in the process? Like how long does the mentorship program last and, and what do you end up with? Like, are you supposed to end up with a book that then you can submit to agents? Um, so the mentorship program goes until November, I think. And 
um, I will certainly end up with um, something that I can present to, that, that will be in a presentable form. Um, and the most important part has been these first chapters, because really it is the first 50 pages that a potential publisher would be looking at. So at the very least, that's what I'm going to need to have locked in. Um, I, I'm not really sure uh, how much I will um, be changing. See, I've made quite a few changes at the start now, and that kind of has a butterfly effect throughout the rest of my book. <laughs> so it's, and I'm only actually up to editing chapter three. So, um, and I got a little bit stuck, but I've been working on it with my mentor because that was quite a formative chapter that would potentially change the course of the rest of the book just with this interaction between two my main character and another character I really wanted to get that right because it was going to affect him on a long-term scale and so it really was quite a critical part and I spent a very very long time just working on these details and I still don't quite have it right but I think that once I'm over that hurdle the rest of it um you know, please don't remember that I say this, but I, I want to say the rest of it will flow, but I feel like those words will come back to bite me. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes you just have to have to get beyond the hurdle and then you can go back and fix it later. But I think sometimes writers spend too much time on like one specific challenge and they can't move past it. Yeah, I, I think that's true as well. I mean, I do... I do really want to get this part right because it kind of informs me on how the rest of the story will play out. Um, one of my main focuses is trying to make sure that my entire story is all tightly connected to the message of the book. And that is where I, that's probably been my biggest stumbling block. It's not writing the story itself. That's been really fun and I've enjoyed it and I like what I've written, but actually giving everything purpose and keeping that message really tight has been the biggest challenge for me. I can imagine. Yeah. It's, it's not enough just to have a plot that works. You have to make sure it all reflects the theme of, of the work. Exactly. And then I started to doubt myself a little and I thought, well, if this part doesn't, really have meaning then this part doesn't have meaning and then does anything have meaning and why am I even writing anyway <laughs> oh my gosh you're having like an existential crisis right in the middle of all of this I've had a few of those yes oh no but this is your first your first novel right your first one that you ever wrote so you're thinking about all of these these issues that I would expect more from a seasoned writer not someone who's just writing a story for the very first time where did where did that knowledge come from were you reading like writer advice or or did you already have this inherent knowledge just from your reading background I think I've learned a lot from reading I think that I can see what makes a good story but when you're actually trying to create that good story that's that's quite a big challenge but I, I think that just being able to see even when you watch tv shows or movies and you can see the way the story is delivered um the, by giving you certain amounts of information at certain points in the story. Um, and now I can kind of look at it objectively and be like, oh, I can see what they're trying to do there. That's going to be a setup for later sort of thing. But I, I think that, you know, over my life, I have read a lot of books and 
you know, it's, um, it wasn't, I guess, all for entertainment's sake. <laughs> I obviously learned something, something from them. And but you did remember love... some of it. You may have forgotten who the killer was, <laughs> but you remembered why it was a good book. I hope so. I mean, my brain feels pretty full <laughs> right now. Also, um, well, you know, because it's my first book, I mean, you know, there might be better strategies or better approaches. Um, all I can say is that this is, this is the way I'm doing it. I'm a slow writer. Um, I spend a lot of time on every single sentence because that's just the way that my brain works. <laughs> that's the way that it comes out of me. Um, I'm not one of those people who can just like really roughly write the whole thing and then go back to it. Um, I tend to write quite clean as I go. Um, and these are all things I'm learning about myself and I'm sure they will develop as I go along. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it all just depends on the writer though, because obviously you hear those stories about people who like I will write half their novel in one night somehow, but we also just did our episode on Hemingway not that long ago. And he was one of those writers who would spend all day agonizing over one page of written work. So it definitely just depends on what your personal style is. So I don't feel that there's a right or a wrong. And, you know, I think that everyone needs to work to their own strengths. Exactly. Well, is there anything else uh, you got going on or, or other books that you're liking right now? I, I really enjoyed talking about your novel and just the writing process. Um, well, the other thing that I've been interested in lately has been um, flash fiction. So little horror stories. And I've, I've written a few now. I've probably written about five. and it's just something that I'm kind of playing with where things aren't always as they seem. So there's usually a twist of, of some kind. And that's something that I really like is when, you know, you think that things are plainly obvious, but it turns out that they're actually flipped upside down and things aren't as they seem. And that's been quite a good challenge too, from writing a 100,000 word novel, which it won't remain at 100,000 words, but that was literally how many words I wrote <laughs> for oh the, the first draft, um, to then writing a 250 to 300 word story. You know, there's, um, I, I'm really trying to hone my skills and um, kind of discover the best way to get a story across, to be really concise and impactful and yeah just create engaging writing whether it's short or long it's definitely a whole whole different ball game to do flash fiction and like I feel like I'm not even really good at like I don't write very long works like none of my novels have even come close to a hundred thousand words but on the other hand doing short stories is also a challenge because you have you have to get so much meaning and action into you know, 10 pages, basically. Yeah, yeah. I wrote one story, and then, and I think it was about 500 words, possibly, and then um, I wanted to submit it for a, a short story, which I wasn't shortlisted for, but I had to get it down to 300 words, and it was a really good practice, because I was, I just went through and cut out all the fluff, <laughs> and shortened it all down, and the story was so much better in the end. It was just more straight to the point and without all of this kind of 
I mean, it's not that it was that fluffy, but it, it just really tightened up the whole story and had more of a, you know, pow, more impact. More punch, yeah. And actually, this just reminded me that we're still waiting to read one of your your flash fiction on our show because I, I totally forgot that this was yours too, or I don't know if I knew at the time. It was such a good horror story. And we just have been waiting for like the right kind of other flash fiction to come in so we can read it alongside something else. But it was The, the Little Spoon. Yes, Little Spoon. That was the first one I wrote. And I actually won a little um, award for that one too. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so yeah. cool. Well, I wrote it for, I submitted it for um, the Australasian Horror Writers Association and I actually um, won in, in the category, the flash fiction category. So oh, it was so really cool. exciting. Have you submitted um, it to any like for, um, fiction magazines or anything? Pardon? Have you submitted it to any like fiction magazines or anything that might um, only? Only that one, only the Australian Horror Writers Association. Um, oh, they so they do publish something with the winners? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's it otherwise. And um, I, I think that maybe it might be good for Halloween even. <laughs> because yeah. it's not, I liked the ones that you guys read out last year for Halloween. That we had really a lot fun. of fun with that show. And actually, uh, we got a decent number of submissions for that. So that was nice to see. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be great to encourage more submissions um, and get people to, to write in some stories. And yeah, I'd love to hear them again. Yeah, it's really inspiring hearing other people's um, creative stories. It is. We had so many good ones. Uh, some of them were a, a little or a lot longer than the original guidelines, but they were all so, so creative and, and I don't know, very chilling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So originally, we wrapped up our conversation here, but then Alyssa and I got to chit-chatting more about my recent trip to New Zealand. Well, not recent anymore. It was way back in March. Um, and what Neil Gaiman was doing in the country at the same time. So enjoy a couple more minutes of our conversation here. Did, did you have fun? I had so much fun. And I was so glad that we managed to do everything we wanted to, even though we didn't make it to see our family in Australia, we still got to do everything we wanted in New Zealand. So that was oh, very nice. Gosh. Yeah. Did you like Rotorua? Yes, I did. Rotorua. Um, I really like Tongariro. Yeah. The national park. That was beautiful. We didn't do the full, um, I think it's like a 15 mile trek. We didn't do that one, but we did do like an 11 mile one. And wow. we saw the mountain several times. It was a little bit cloudy, but we still got some good views. Oh, I'm so glad you had a good time. And your timing was perfect for getting back home. It was. <laughs> um, Neil, it was. Neil Gaiman was here. Neil Gaiman um, was oh, in yeah. Christchurch. He was, um, he was in Christ, was it Christchurch? Oh, not Christchurch. Um, um, why am I saying Christchurch? He was in Havelock North. Uh, no, he was in Haste, um, Hastings, North Island. Sorry, I don't know why I said Christchurch. It was wrong. What's the um the city, the capital city at the very Wellington. bottom? Pardon me. Wellington. Wellington. Yes. So we had just left there like two days before. I saw that he was there doing some sort of performance. Oh right, yeah. So he was he was here with his partner. I think I don't know if they're married or not. And kid um in uh, um, I can't remember exactly where, but on the east coast of the North Island. And so they ended up getting stuck here during lockdown. 
but then they actually separated and at the end of lockdown he went back to the UK and so they've actually their relationship is actually separated what? So, I know oh. I missed that yeah because I was following them on Instagram because he was um showing like he was writing in this cave <laughs> it was there was this cave that he found or something and he had his desk and everything set up and I'll send you the picture on Instagram and so, and I was kind of like, oh, this is cool. Cause I like Neil Gaiman, you know, I love, I love his books. And I thought that's kind of cool that he's here in New Zealand. And then, and I was following Amanda Palmer as well. And then, um, yeah, once the, um, the main travel ban lifted, um, he ended up going back to the UK and they've had this sort of semi-public breakup, which they said was not because of lockdown. It was problems that they'd already had, but Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, even if they say it's not because of lockdown, I think uh, people want to automatically assume that because that's always been the running joke of the couples who are going to survive lockdown together. Exactly. Mm. Oh, I didn't know. I, it does not surprise me, though, that Neil Gaiman found a cave in New Zealand to do his writing <laughs> in. Yeah. That's very on brand. It looks so good. It looks very hobbity. <laughs> Yes. Well, um, I don't, have you ever been to Scotland or the UK? I've been to London. That's, that's the only place I've been in the UK. I went to, um, Scotland, the Isle of Skye specifically because of Neil Gaiman's writing. Um, and he has like a, a house out there because he's so captivated by it. So the whole time I was up there, I just like felt like Neil Gaiman walking around in the misty hills and stuff. Wow. Oh, cool. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you. Yeah, I've loved, I've loved listening to your podcast and I'm very excited to be a part of it now. So yeah, thank you for making this happen. For anyone who wants to see more of Alyssa's work or just um, any of her vlogs or anything like that, she set up a new website uh, a little while after we finished recording this episode. It is ravenbooks.nz. So raven as in the bird, books.nz. While you're there, you can also find links to her Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Of course, we will also put links to her website in the episode description, so you can find it there too.